All right. Uh, does any, anyone need a seat in the back who doesn't have one? If you'll wave, we'll be able to put some up over here for you. We, um, as Eric mentioned, we're trying to keep these services to about an hour because we have all these wonderful children in here with us. Nothing like divine chaos. Some of them are waving at me. I know who you are. One of my rebellious grandkids over there. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. <laughs> Not just you, Jude. You're in good company, buddy. We're all in there with you. Okay, all right. We're getting closer and closer to a new facility. Being there by Christmas, I'm almost positive. <laughs> I don't know when. Two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. Uh, maybe. So it's just, uh, it is what it is, folks. So, All right. I'm... Um, I'm going to speak a little bit more about uh, the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, the tax collector. And um, there's so much in there. I'm just sort of pulling certain parts of it out. I want us to look at it. But part of what I'm thinking about this morning is this. How does Jesus treat people? How does Jesus treat people? And um, it's really, you know, so amazing to see the heart of God through Jesus in the Gospels. Um, one of my classic or one of my regular comments is God's gotten a lot of bad press. I think he's been terribly misrepresented. That would be the devil's way of alienating people in practical ways from the Lord is to... Um, give them a viewpoint of God that's not accurate, that doesn't make you really want to love him. So let's do this. We're going to read. Um, stand up with me. We're going to read this together out loud. It looks like part of it's hanging off the bottom, so I'll help you. Ah, thank you. So all I had to do is say it. You see that screen heard it and went, went right down there. Okay. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, I mentioned last week, you remember they? Everybody has a them, right? You know, Billy and them. Frank and them, what they're saying. When you're worried about what they're saying, you're worried about the wrong thing. Because a lot of that's imagination. And the other part of it is determining who you are based on what people think about you, and that doesn't work either. And they're always going to say something. You realize that? 
They got real opinions out there, folks. Okay. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He's gone to be a guest with the man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Okay, read that two weeks in a row. This is great verses of Scripture. So when you look at the nature of God or the personality or the temperament of Jesus or the way Jesus behaved towards people, um, you see him here inviting himself to spend, basically spend time, spend the night with this man named Zacchaeus. And so to understand the implications of that, you need to understand Jewish culture a little bit. You need to, of Jesus' day, you need to understand who Zacchaeus was and why it meant so much to him for Jesus to invite himself to his house and why it made so many other people angry that Jesus would do that. All of that gives you an insight really into the heart of God, how he looks at people, how he feels about people. And so I mentioned some of this. Some of this is by way of review, but um, most people don't get it until you tell them five times. They don't get it until they're tired of hearing about it. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Rob. I'm sorry. There were people here earlier. I could have sworn. Never mind. First of all, who was Zacchaeus? Well, he was a disappointment to his parents. And he lived a life of contradictions. Well, why would I say that? Well, you can tell by his name. Jewish parents named their children with vision and hope for their lives. And Zacchaeus means pure and innocent. And he was neither. He was a tax collector. Jews purchased the right to collect taxes. A little, little bit of uh, study on this, some of the few notes. In Jesus' time, the Jews hated tax collectors, and there are a number of reasons. First of all, tax collectors overcharged the taxes. They had a right to keep the extra money. Did I mention that they purchased the right to collect taxes? Did I say that already? Yeah, so they bought the privilege of being a tax collector. And whatever they collected above what Rome expected, they kept. We read from the text earlier, says Zacchaeus was a tax collector and he was very rich. And the reason he was very rich was he took more from people than he should have been taking. Um, taxes were too high already. Some people actually had to sell their children into slavery to pay their taxes. So you can imagine how fellow Jews felt about Zacchaeus. Um, he basically was one of the reasons for the poverty that went on in the nation. And the tax collectors worked for the Romans. Uh, the taxes went to pay the Roman soldiers and Roman governors. So Jews hated the Romans, hated them occupying their land, 
and hated to pay to keep them there. Um, tax collectors were considered traitors to the nation and the religion, the Jewish religion, because they were collaborators. I don't know if many of you have familiar with World War II, but um, I saw just a few, a few weeks ago a picture of uh, these women in Paris being shamed. They were cutting all their hair off, and it was because they had associated, these French women had associated with um, Nazi officers. Uh, they were probably prostitutes of some way, shape, or form. And so they were hated because they were collaborators. Um, they helped an occupational army subvert um, the whole nation. So they hated them. They were considered ritually unclean and alienated from God. So when I say uh, Zacchaeus was a disappointment to his parents, he was certainly not pure. He was certainly not innocent. He was very much the opposite, and people hated him. Now, Jesus loved him. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus loved him, and he showed him he loved him by eating with him. In Jewish custom, um, you couldn't eat with an uncircumcised man, or you couldn't eat things that were unclean, or you couldn't eat with anyone that was considered not to be righteous. It was part of their custom. Matter of fact, years later, even after the resurrection, I don't know if you remember this, in Acts 11 when the Lord um, sort of tricked Peter into going to the Gentiles' house, and all these Gentiles got saved, and they got filled with the Holy Ghost. And Peter ate with them. When he went back to Jerusalem to try to explain what happened, uh, we find in Acts 11, 2 and 3, and when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him. Now, these were Christians, but they were still very much influenced by Hebrew customs. So when Peter comes up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, I mean, he had committed a terrible crime, worthy of... Um, this big argument, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. So it was a huge, huge deal. But Jesus had no problems identifying with tax collectors and sinners. Now, um, one of the reasons the priesthood, or they, talked about they, what does it say, uh, when they saw that, um, when they saw that Jesus was going to Zacchaeus's house, they all complained, saying, "He's gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner." Now, what you've got to understand too about uh, Jericho: Jericho was a village, or it wasn't a village; it was a town of about a hundred thousand people, and there as many priests who lived in Jericho as lived in Jerusalem, and so you had all of these priests none of whom Jesus chose to eat with, but instead he chooses to eat with the most visibly hated, collaborating Jewish person who took people's money in town. That's terrible sentence structure, but I hope you got what I'm saying there. Yeah, they were, they were very, very indignant that Jesus would do that. I love Jesus. 
I really like that about Jesus. It wasn't the first time Jesus did this. In Luke 5, 29 through 32, it says then, Levi, or Matthew, gave him a great feast in his own house. And Matthew was a tax collector. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, Levi there, or Matthew, became one of Jesus' um, 12 apostles. And so Zacchaeus was probably interested in seeing Jesus because Jesus had on his staff a former tax collector. And I think that could have given Zacchaeus a little bit of hope about his own particular uh, situation. Can you imagine being the most hated person in town? Can you imagine not being welcome anywhere? Well, that was Zacchaeus's life. He was rich, but I assume he was miserable. Well, Jesus had no trouble identifying with tax collectors. Actually, in Matthew 11, Jesus is upbraiding the Pharisees, the so-called, well, the self-righteous, and he upbraided them this way. He basically said, when John the Baptist came, you wouldn't listen to him. Now I come, and you won't listen to me. John the Baptist came as this austere prophet from the wilderness who wore weird clothes and had a strange diet. I come partying, having fun, and being open with everyone and friendly, and you won't have anything to do with me. But here's the way he put it. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. Now, this is they. This is what they say. Here's the idea. No matter what you do, they are going to have something to say about it. So if you're living your life based on what they say, you're making a serious mistake, and it will take you directly away from God. So Jesus was saying, John came neither eating or drinking, and what did they call him? He has a demon. Any one of the behaves the way John the Baptist must have a demon, they said. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But Jesus concludes this this way. But wisdom is justified by her children. Now, when Jesus said wisdom is justified by her children, hundreds, I don't know hundreds, it says many, many tax collectors came to Jesus and gave their life to him. Many. They would never have done that if Jesus hadn't treated them with respect and dignity, but with truthfulness. They would never have come. If Jesus was not their kind of friend, they would never have met Jesus in the kind of way that changes their life. I really like Jesus. Who likes Jesus? Yeah, but Jesus would tell them they needed to repent. He wasn't letting them off the hook, but he wasn't treating them like religious people. 
Jesus operated under a higher law than the customs of the religious Jews. I wonder if you've ever read about the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus in Romans 8 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. What does that mean? It means it just doesn't just set you free from the results of being under condemnation or the results of um, what sin does to you physically or mentally or morally, but the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus enables you to look at people with much different eyes than most people look at them with. See, there's something about the life of God. There was something about the way Jesus looked at people and spoke to people and helped people that absolutely changed them, but it got him in trouble with self-righteous people all the time. All the time. But he operated under a different law. He operated under love your neighbor as yourself. He operated under like Romans 13, 8, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Or Romans 13, 10, where it says, love fulfills the law. And so Jesus was willing to fulfill a higher law, even though it brought him into conflict with people who were entrenched in a much lower law and basically had hundreds, maybe even thousands of years of ideas, concept, and Bible, if you will, to support their hostility towards Jesus. Here's the only problem. The person the whole Old Testament was talking about shows up and they didn't recognize him. So they could not have possibly understood accurately what that was about. God himself is in their midst and they don't recognize him. And they don't recognize him based on a mental construct that came from Bible verses. It's a little scary. A little scary. And so Jesus, see here's the trick. Jesus had the ability to make people like him even when he told them things they didn't like. He didn't just say, hey, listen, I know you guys are tax collectors. I really love you. Stay a tax collector. I don't think that was his message. But there was something about his personality, something about his person, something about his temperament, something about his bearing. You know the fruit of the Spirit. You ever heard of those? Some of you have. <laughs> I mess with you. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, gentleness, self-control. That has to be a description of the personality of Jesus if it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. How many of you really see Jesus as the man of love, the man of joy, the man of peace, the man of patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Against such there is no law. When you're living in that Jesus life, you're living above certain concepts that many people live under and die by and literally do die by. But there's a higher way. It's the life of the Spirit. 
Now, does that give you license to live any way you want to? If that's your conclusion, you have absolutely misunderstood everything Jesus came to do. If you really understand what it is to live that Jesus life, it energizes you to no longer live the way you have lived until the day you met him. It enables you to live above sinfulness, bad attitudes, misbehaviors. Sometimes I live above those things myself. Come on. Let's get a little heavy in here. I had to use a little self-deprecating attempt at humor, but nobody laughed. Okay. Why was Zacchaeus so motivated to see Jesus? I think he heard that there was a tax collector just like himself that was one of his disciples. I wonder if he heard that parable of the Pharisee and the publican. You remember that? It's over in Luke 18. There's a Pharisee and he's bragging on all the good things he's done. And Jesus is listening and then there's a tax collector and the tax collector is really expressing remorse over the life he's lived. And Jesus says, the tax collector is the one that left justified. And so it's not just that, it's not only that Jesus accepts you the way you are. It's that he accepts you the way you are as an avenue into helping you become who he's really called you to. It's not like you can, well, that's just the way I am. If you really understand that's just the way you are in the negative and you see Jesus, you have hope to change. How many of you tried to change it didn't work? Yeah, well, there's got to be a better way. Here's the better way. Know Jesus. Get to know him. Now, he heard, probably heard that parable where the, where, where the tax collector <laughs> was the good guy and the Pharisee was the bad guy. That always helps your self-esteem, I think. May have heard about that miracle Jesus performed on the way into, Jer- into Jericho. Who knows? Now, I like this. What, what, let me ask this question. What did Jesus see in Zacchaeus? I mean, when you read the story, you see, here's a short guy, climbed a tree to see Jesus, a very wealthy guy. There are 100,000 people in Jericho. I doubt if Jesus knew who Zacchaeus was. He could have, maybe did, maybe didn't. I have a feeling he probably didn't. There were many tax collectors in Israel during that period of time. But what did Jesus see in Zacchaeus? I think he saw humility. The richest man in town climbs a tree to see who Jesus is. When Jesus looked up in that tree and saw Zacchaeus, what did did he see? What did he see in Zacchaeus' face, I wonder? I think he saw hunger for something money couldn't buy. See, Zacchaeus saw in Jesus' hope, Jesus saw 
in Zacchaeus' hunger. What do you think Jesus saw when he looked in Zacchaeus' face? I think he saw the purity and the innocence his parents had always hoped he would have. What did, what did Jesus see when he looked into Zacchaeus' face? Jesus saw his heavenly father's vision for Zacchaeus' life. And he wasn't willing to give up on him. Judaism had nothing to offer Zacchaeus or he would have stuck with it. He went for the money. He went for the money. What did Jesus see when he looked into Zacchaeus' face? I think he saw his potential. I think he saw who he would be with the Holy Spirit living in him. I, I wrote this last week. God's vision for each person lives in something called potential. Potential is released through an ongoing process called agreement. So to reach your full potential, you have to agree with the Lord. You have to agree with him about the bad stuff. You've got to agree with him about the good stuff. You've got to agree with him about both. So Zacchaeus, after meeting with Jesus, he stands up and he says, I'm going to bankrupt myself making right everything I've done up to this point in my life. That's crazy. I mean, that's what he said. He said, um, I'm going to give half my goods to the poor. It's okay. His, um, his finances got cut by 50% with that one comment. Then he said, and if I have taken anyone, anything from anyone by false accusation, I'm going to give back fourfold. So if he had only beat people out of a quarter of what was left, he was going to be broke when he did this. Why would somebody do that? How could someone go from being a tax collector who loved money to giving virtually every, not just giving everything away, but taking a stand. It said he stood and said, he made a proclamation before his entire household. I am going to give half of what I've taken to the poor, and I'm going to restore four times whatever I took by false accusation. That brings me to this question. How did Jesus change Zacchaeus' life? And it brings me to this answer. I'm not really sure. If he did not know him beforehand and he called him by name out of that tree, Zacchaeus, come down for today. I must spend time with you. That would have opened his heart up. Words of knowledge have a way of awakening people's perception about the closeness of the kingdom of heaven. Whenever someone with that kind of a spiritual ministry can tell you things only you and God know about your life, bam, you have this awareness of God suddenly like not normal. That could have been happening to him. Obviously, Jesus' willingness to eat and stay with him. Jesus' sense of acceptance that no matter what the rest of the city said, Jesus was going to stay at his house, eat with him, 
talk to him, identify with him. That kind of acceptance may have really touched his heart. That could have been it. One thing I noticed was Zacchaeus called Jesus Lord. And that wasn't like Mr. That was like a recognition of his divinity, a recognition of his Messiahship. So here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking Zacchaeus went from believing God was the way the Pharisees said he was to that God was the way Jesus was. What did the trick? I don't know. Jesus. But isn't that simplistic? Well, when the real Jesus is around, it just it makes sense. I can't explain it. I think people that major in theology are crazy. How can you understand God? Have you ever thought about that? God, you're going to understand God? You're going to get it all right about God? I think the Bible in some ways is not supposed to make sense. That's a little scary. What do you mean? Oh man, there have been people arguing about this stuff for years and years. Pre-tribulation, rapture, ultimate reconciliation, manifestation of the sons of God. I could go on and on and on and bring out controversy after controversy. But here's what we got to go back to. we got to go back to that part of the Bible we understand that says, love your neighbor as yourself. I don't even care what your theology is if you're mean. Whatever it is, is wrong. I've heard guys, I've heard prominent people say, all people that speak in tongues are of the devil. That's crazy. Who says? Their theology, their fear, their concepts. Because I speak in tongues and I'm going to heaven. Come on. Jesus called Zacchaeus into his potential. He says, today salvation has come to this house because Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham. He said about Zacchaeus, the highest thing you could say about another Jewish man. Every other Jew despised him. Jesus in one sitting can so affect his life and Zacchaeus can make such a bold change that Jesus says, this is what a son of Abraham looks like. Not that. Let me end with this five minutes over. I'm going to blame that on Andy if I can, but I don't know how. How does Jesus see people? I mentioned this last week. I can't get away from this. In the right light, if you're standing face to face looking at someone's eyes, guess who you see in their eyes when you look? You see yourself. Now, it's tricky. Romans 2 1 says, You that judge do the same. What does that mean? Well, just to get to the bottom of it is critical people, when they judge people and condemn people, they're seeing themselves in those people and they're too blind and too, they're too blind (laughs) to see that. That's what, that's what Paul is writing. You that say don't steal, do you steal? You that say don't commit adultery, do you commit adultery? 
For you that judge, you that condemn, if you're condemning, you're in trouble. That doesn't mean you don't discern. That doesn't mean you don't know right from wrong. But that's not what it is. The person can be doing something wrong. You don't have to condemn them. And so evil people see themselves in other people. Righteous people, that's wrong. The point is, you can see an evil person when you look at somebody, or you can see Jesus when you see somebody. See, when Jesus was looking in Zacchaeus' eyes, he could see himself. He could see his own face. What he was saying was, I know who you are when your eye is single and you're looking at me. I know who you are. They don't know who you are. They determine who you are based on your behavior. He says, I know who you are based on something much more profound, something much deeper. I can see who you are, who you really are, who you're called to be, who your potential is. But see, you have to agree with Jesus. Let me just do this. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I guess we've reconciled everybody's a sinner at one point in their life. Everybody okay with that? We don't, I don't have to call out sins this morning, do I? I want to do something else. Here's what I see. I see you as righteous. Listen to this. I see you as righteous. I see you as strong. I see you full of faith. Potential is released through agreement. I see you as a faithful person. Your potential is released through agreement. I see you as a person of peace who imparts peace. I see you healed. I see you restored. I see you beloved and loving. I see you as more than a conqueror. How does that work? Through him who loved us. Every person in this room who has asked Jesus to save them, for every person in this room, Everything I said is true. If not in experience, at least by potential. How do you fulfill your destiny? How do you maximize your potential? Through an ongoing process of agreement. Is that good? that good? Okay. We do have ministry teams today, for those of you who would like uh, for us to pray for you. And um, I'm sorry I went over, but the kids are pretty calm, though. Are they all gone? <laughs> I see some. If you would like prayer, if you'll come right over here on this side of uh, the building, we'd be glad to pray for you. We have teams that will do it. I see them putting some badges on. And, hey, it's 20 to 12. Get somebody Invite someone you don't like to lunch today. 
or someone you really like. Those are the two categories. Have a great week.